Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of If I Only Knew. Today, I'm once again joined by my fantastic co-host, Fred. Fred, say good day. G'day, listeners. G'day, Matt. Thank you very much for being here with me again, as always, Fred. Um, today, I really do want to pick your brains because we've got a really important conversation happening in Australia at the moment that most of our Australian listeners should be aware of. The voice referendum is coming up, seeking to place a constitutionally enshrined advisory body of First Nations people to the parliament. And this has uh, ended up with some really divisive conversations. Um, the polling was initially showing a, a wide support for this movement. And that's turned on its head pretty quickly. On this podcast before, we've talked about the importance of the voice. We've suggested it be a, a bit of a, a serious um, slap in the face to First Nations people if it doesn't go through. And that's something that's really sat with me as I've navigated this discourse myself. But rather than diving into the weeds of some of the politics about that today, I thought we should speak to something that we're both got a bit of experience on, and that's um, advisory boards themselves. So, of course, I've run the Youth Advisory Committee at Humanity Health Group, Fred, uh, and you uh, assisted in setting that up. Um, and you, as a decision maker, I hope, have benefited from some of our advi- advisements. Absolutely. Um, and so, with that in mind, I wanted to uh, dig into the broader question of what the value of an advisory body might be for a decision maker. Why might the voice be useful to the government? And perhaps uh, that can offer some thoughts as to why uh, it might be a worthy addition to the Australian Constitution. So let's start there, Fred. You and I met uh, in 2019, very off the cuff, first time we'd basically met each other, and you were captured by the idea of a youth youth advisory committee for your business. Um, And that was kind of your project that you thought this should happen. Um, I was very, very happy to be on board to make that happen. I I also think it's, it's essential. But why did you meet me with the idea bouncing around your head that like a youth advisory committee would be a value to the decision making in your business. 100%. One of the things that I fear in life, Matt, is those people that believe they know everything. Okay. I believe they're doomed to fail. Mm. And, I, and I think it comes from a place of um, insecurity, I'll be really honest with yeah, you. Okay. Those, those people that believe they know everything or they know best are people that are doomed to fail because they stop listening and they stop learning. Mm. Now, we met in an event where you and several other young people um, were invited along to challenge the paradigm. Mm. And in real time, I found myself again and again and again drawn to a perspective that was a bit alien to me. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And I realized that whilst we all have the benefit of youth, if we're lucky, that, you know, there is some dynamic that kind of precludes us from empathizing uh, mm. and really comprehending the, the current situation. Mm. One of the one of the other people in the group is famous for crack. His name's Will, and you and I both know him. Yes. He's famous for cracking an egg on a, on a politician's head. Mm and uh, copying a, an absolute beating at the time from a group of security guards for it. And I, I'm still enraged by that. I see the footage comes up every now and then, and it really, really gets on my nerves. And people said all sorts of things about him, but what it actually was, was a really, really strong form of protest mm. against some really offensive stuff in a way that was almost going to parody the person. Mm. And it was when he described the why rather than the what that I realized that we constantly need to be challenging ourselves to hear the perspective of others Mm. 
rather than judge the outcome of their actions. So in the work that we do, and many would know that um, the business that we're both involved in is an allied health provider, more and more and more we're seeing young people come into the business from almost from the age of birth mm. onwards, Matt. Mm. So even if I employed everybody at the age of 25 and they started working with a 14-year-old today mm. and assuming that they knew that person's reality, the truth is they don't. They remember their 14-year-old time on the earth, which was a decade earlier. And just think about what's changed in the last 10 years. So from my perspective, that advisory board, and it wasn't limited to a youth advisory board, although I believe that was hugely successful, was actually used to change the way that we practice with young people. And I would imagine in about 12 months' time, we'll start that initiative in a different way because we want to bring in younger voices than yours now. Sadly, you've aged out of the youth advisory group, Matt. <laughs> the inevitable outcome of a youth I advisory know, board. Yeah. Good, but what you actually created, and this is the importance of good advisory groups. I'll speak about poor advisory groups in a second. I'm sure you've got a question about that. Mm. But the idea of a good advisory group is the idea that the structure itself creates its own value. Mm, mm, mm. And but they're only as good as the organization's intention to actually be educated. Mm. Yeah. And I think the reason ours was so successful um, under your stewardship is we had unilateral buy-in for what it could do and what it did do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great insight into what the overall value of an advisory committee can do because when it's bought into, I think it can offer that unique perspective. And I think the comparison between youth and the Indigenous voice is really interesting because, of course, as you said, almost everyone has been young in some form or another. um, And yet uh, there's still quite the gulf between, I think, today's adults and today's youth. Um, and Completely. yet today's adults have been More young. Than ever. Mm, and, and that's and that's widening because the pace of change of society is increasing. And so 10 years now is is much more uh, divergent than 10 years, 30 years ago. And yet we're nationally discussing an Indigenous voice department, which is something that very few Australians have ever had the opportunity, I suppose, to uh, experience themselves, yeah. right? And so I, I think that that's what's quite striking about the the um, different intersections that one might be advised about is that uh, some of them, people have a natural inclination towards knowing more about. Something like youth um, might be a bit easier to empathise with in the challenges of race or indigeneity. Um, and I think that's a very interesting question when we look at the voice and, and um, an idea of acceptance, because I, I think it might be a little bit harder to get that kind of buy-in from a nation when you don't have as close of a personal connection to that uh, cause area of the committee. But it's also the most critical reason for an advisory committee. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the gap is so large. And and look, I, I, we're not restricted to a youth advisory committee. We've, uh, we're informed by disabled participants. Mm. Um, we've engaged older Australians. Um, we've just had certification back about, you know, how well our business ticks the box on equal opportunity, which basically means that there's no gender pay gap. Mm. Um, one of the things I would say, though, is in engaging in a, an advisory committee, the thing that we did, which I believe is a parallel with The Voice, is that we recognised that we didn't know enough to be relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
there's two ways that go. I've, I've been parts of advisory committees. I'll give an example of this. Um, I was brought into uh, a government division on a project where the division itself was almost non-functional because of internal conflict. Mm, right. Um, you know, 40 people of critical importance in a state government scenario that couldn't achieve accord because each division was siloed in their outcomes. Mm. And not surprisingly, the way that I resolved the issue for them, and it continued on for years after the project had finished, was that I developed an advisory committee made up of the different voices in that conflict. Right, right, yeah. And we put the loudest voice for change in the best position to actually make change. But the reason it worked is I got tacit agreement from the organisation that we're a part of that the advisory committee would actually be in a position to influence decisions, not just lip service. Mm -hmm. I'll give the alternate. Um, we came into a conflict with an organisation that uh, purports itself to represent disability. I won't name them but I will say that they do not represent disability mm -hmm. and they do not represent the disabled community. Mm -hmm. And they, we came into conflict because of an event that was meant to be about a banner event in the calendar year for people with disability and providers of disability. However, when I attended the event, I was absolutely disgusted because it catered not one iota to people with disability. What? In fact, it precluded their ability to participate the way that I would. Uh, food was on tables too high. Um, wow. uh, there was no room made for those that may be wheelchair bound or have gait issues or balance issues or need to use aids to hear, to see, etc. It was disgusting. The basics of accessibility that we're yeah. trying to promote now, yeah. Their defence was they had an advisory committee, and I quote, that had a disabled person on it, and don't you know she's only got one hand? What? So that's where advisory committees go wrong, uh -huh. when they're just a rubber stamp yeah. and they're not representative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of the cynicism about advisory committees is corporations community organisations and governments use advisory committees like a bit of a Band-Aid. Mm, mm, mm. You know, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're consulting and advisory committees are essentially a formalised consultation process. Mm. And then they ignore the advice and do what they want anyway. Mm. And this is an interesting part of the voice conversation, I think, because it always seems to be the divergence of two of the yes and no campaigns. Uh, some opponents on the more progressive side of politics say that it's just going to be a rubber stamp or it's going to be ignored or it's going to be toothless and it's going to be useless. Whereas some opponents on the more conservative side of politics argue it's going to have far too much power, it's going to do too much and it's going to be a disaster. I think that's a, a wild amount of cognitive dissonance uh, that, that these two campaigns are promoting. And it does make sense because that is the, the we're acting in the future, we're acting in the unknown. Um, um, but I, I, I found it quite an interesting feature of this discourse that the uh, opponents of it come from both sides for that very reason. Um, it seems to me, as I understand the voice, that it risks that tokenism, but that it still is meant to be quite quite well involved being a part of the constitution and, and um, able to regularly make 
um, submissions to the government. I suppose, Fred, there's there's a challenge, and, and perhaps as a business we've engaged with this, um, that sometimes you can't take on board everything that an advisory committee wants to do because the advisory committee only represents a portion of your um of your clients, let's say. And um, if you're not, if you're working with a different portion of your clients, or if there's uh, another priority for this particular quarter or whatever that might look like, then maybe there does have to be a, uh, a, a trade-offs made or a balance made. How do you think that that works as a decision maker? Is that kind of the job of the decision maker to then synthesize these different interests and these different, these different interest groups? I think that the job of the decision maker is to absolutely and categorically understand that an advisory committee doing its job is by design disruptive. Okay, interesting. Okay. I'll give an example. It's the tiniest example, mm-hmm. but it's a powerful one that continues on. And it's the one that jumps to mind when you spoke about that fine line. Mm. Uh, a youth advisory committee, very close to my own heart and your own heart, once said to me, um, why don't our forms cater to the idea of current thoughts around gender mm, mm, mm. And, and a question about pronouns? Mm. And it would be very easy for someone of my generation to go, blah, 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 blah. So what we did was made the change, but we didn't make the change for young people. We made the change for everybody. Mm. Mm-hmm. To this day, we get more people identifying their pronouns that would be older than 25 than under 25. Right, right, yeah. So the disruption of a simple awareness has made a, created a position of comfort for a great deal of people mm. that we might have assumed that that wasn't relevant to. Mm-hmm. So and there were other things in the way that we spoke, the language that we used and the way that our forms looked, mm-hmm. that when we allowed the advisory committee to disrupt our thinking, it actually benefited our entire business. It pulled out a lot of the power over and became just a really simple dialogue with people. And in fact, we continue to wrestle with that every time a new form is created in this organization. Mm. And I always go back to the principles that the Youth Advisory Committee gave at the time around simplicity, accessibility, and removing this power over this power of the expert Mm. to Mm. ask questions Mm. that intimidated people. Mm. Mm. So I think the, the parallel with the voice is regardless of what side of politics you're from, it should be embraced because it will disrupt. Mm, mm, mm. And for the vast majority, that disruption has not one iota of disadvantage for us. Mm, Yeah, yeah. There is a huge disadvantage to people that on both sides of the no argument, some because they're in privileged positions within the Indigenous community and they don't want to lose it, Mm-hmm. And there are others in the halls of power that might be bought and paid for by, say, mining interests that really don't want government listening to people. And I want to draw people's minds back to when we blew up a cave right. with relics that were over 60,000 years old and sacred to an Indigenous population because there may or may not be an iron ore vein mm-hmm. underneath that mm-hmm. cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if it was about the voice, the voice might have said, let's come up with something like a heritage listing or a conservation order on certain sites. Mm. 
Mm. But also, sadly, for some, Matt, uh, have iron ore deposits sitting underneath them. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And there are other iron ore deposits in Australia, although I, I understand the business interests won out there. I think this seems to be the essential piece that, that I am very happy we've come to is that an advisory committee begins with a recognition of a need for disruption, right? Okay. And then an acceptance that disruption is difficult, but it must happen to address that issue. And thus is a good thing. Um, and so I think this is where the voice seems to be uh, at its crux for me, is that there's a need for disruption in the way we treat Indigenous affairs in Australia. And with that need, we can address that through some advisement. Um, this will be hard. And I think the challenge, it seems, that Sava of the Australia discourse has is that Australians are grappling with whether they want the voice, but with no disruption, or whether they're unwilling to accept the fact that actually an advisory committee has to exist to address a problem, and that problem does exist, and we have to come to terms with the fact that this problem exists. The concern that a lot of people in power have is that the advisory committee itself is a gateway to other disruption, mm. like treaty. Mm, mm. And my response to that is, so? Mm, exactly. exactly. The other proponents, the people that want treaty and sovereignty, say the voice will set that cause back because there's a rubber stamp capacity. There is a, So there is one no campaign that says, if you don't know, vote no. To mm. those people, I would say, if you don't know, educate yourself. Mm. There's another component of the no campaign saying don't vote yes because there is a bigger goal. Mm, yeah. And my response to that is simply put, you don't want to wait another 220 years. Mm, yeah. So grab every opportunity you can, but make it work for the community by putting the right people into the positions of authority in the advisory committee. Yeah. I will say this, as somebody that's benefited greatly from advisory committees, the way I boil it down now is when the pain of change is less than the pain that staying the same causes, mm. you've got to listen. Mm. I love that. That's a fantastic takeaway for it. Thank you for this week, listeners. This has been a really solid one. And part of the part of the foundation of why Matt and I do what we do, actually. Indeed. Listen, if you like what we say, and I know a lot of you are listening, like, subscribe, and tell your friends. Until next week, please feel free to tune in to If I Only Knew. See you, Matt. Thanks very much, everyone. See ya. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production, with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song, with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can, through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes, and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts of theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.